Would you grab your Bibles and turn to Malachi 2, 1 through 9. Over the last several weeks, the people have asked God questions and God's answer to those questions. There's no questions being answered. God is asked. God is just going to, he's got something to say. And God, it's good for God to do that. And that's what's going to happen today. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. And behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. And it was a covenant of fear, and he feared me, and he stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way, and you have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts, and so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction." So today I want to talk as, uh, at our church here, if you're a guest today, we walk through books of the Bible, and so we walk verse by verse uh, through books of the Bible, and so sometimes it takes us and forces us to go and look at a number of different topics and different things, and which is important because God's call upon us is to walk through the whole counsel of God's Word, not just to pick certain sections and then avoid um, other things, and so we're going to talk today about the priests, and and we're going to bring that into our day and time in 2023 to talk about people like me, people who are in ministry, who have a call upon their life, how are they to live, and we're going to find that the priests at the end of the Old Testament are deeply indifferent to the commands of God and what God wants them to do. We will see today that it's very similar to our day and time as well. The priests at the end of the Old Testament were forgetting the commandments of God. They were kind of doing their own thing. And we kind of see that in our day and time as well. So when we read this a while ago, you saw the word Levi multiple times. And God says, I made a covenant with Levi. And so I want to make sure that we kind of understand this. Levi, the person, was already dead when God made this initial covenant with the tribe of Levi. So he would have died in Joseph's generation at the end of the book of Genesis. Um, And so his descendants, though, would eventually become those who were to become the priests, and they would serve in the tabernacle, and then eventually in, in the temple in their role before the Lord. But as we come to this today, we're going to look at a guy named Phineas. Y'all know, y'all know that name. Phineas is my favorite Old Testament character. God's going to make a covenant with him. We'll read that story again in a minute. 
But God's going to make a covenant with him, a perpetual priesthood. And so from his descendants, Aaron is his grandfather. Aaron worked with Moses. Uh, and then his son was Eleazar. Eleazar's son was Phineas. And so this, we will see today, though the word Levi, when we read the text, walking back through again, was connected to this tribe. There's one in, one in mind as the writer writes this, Malachi writes this, and it's this guy named Phineas. And so we'll read about him in a moment. And so everything kind of falls in regard to the priesthood under this in regard to the tribe of Levi. We are also today going to see four different times God referred to as the Lord of hosts. So I want to remind us of what that means. This means God is the God of the angel armies. So God has armies of angels that do his bidding and do his work. So when you see this phrase in the Old Testament, God who is the Lord of hosts, he is the God of the angel armies. And so that is the reference um, that is here. And so at the end of the Old Testament, tragically, the priests do not really care about their role anymore. And we began to look at that a little bit last week. And we will continue to see that next week as well. They had lost the heart for true worship. They didn't care about making sure that their teaching was connected to the word of God as God had intended and desired it. They were kind of bored with it all. It was tedious work. It was bloody work. It was dirty work. It was like lots of being awake a lot, working hard, standing on your feet. And they had kind of grown tired of it all mainly because as they did all the work, they were expecting God to give great blessings back. And so they were doing the work so that God would reward them materially. God doesn't always do that. Sometimes God does that. And so the priests were like, God, where's all the blessings that are coming with a calling and what you have asked us to do? And so they had they'd kind of given up on it and were kind of doing their own thing. So there was a crisis in the priesthood at the end of the Old Testament. We have a bit of crisis, I believe, in our day and well as well, where there are a lot of good communicators today, really good ones. But the question is, are there enough biblical, Christ-centered communicators in churches today? And when one thinks of what, what is a biblical characteristic of a minister and what should they be about? And, and, and we can kind of have a lot of different things. And people have a lot of different ideas. Some people are looking for a funny and hip pastor. And gosh, aren't y'all blessed that you have one? <laughs> Some people are looking for somebody who's just incredibly creative. Or they've got a captivating personality. Or some people are looking for somebody who's a phenomenal storyteller. Someone is looking for somebody who's not too long-winded, and aren't you glad you don't have one of those either? So there are a lot of different things that people are looking for in regard to a minister of the gospel. And I believe that one of the issues sometimes with American Christians and the mindset is we have this expectation that everything at a church has to be perfect. Well, the problem with that is it's not possible because people lead God's church and not everything is always going to be perfect. And so, so there's an expectation that's not there. And so sometimes there's a consumer mindset 
that enters into the people of God in regard to, I'm just going to survey, kind of like a buffet. There's a place called Piccadilly. Some of the young generation has no idea what that is. You older people know, and you could kind of walk through and pick and choose what you want to put on our plate. And I believe a lot of Christians kind of do that in regard to church. The grass is not always greener in life and also with church because if you've ever seen a yard that looks incredible and you actually stand on it, you will notice in that yard that there's some flaws in that yard that look really good from a different perspective this way. But when you stand on top of it, there's another thing there. So what I want to do today and what God does in the text today is God is going to define for us what he thinks a good minister is. And he's going to say and teach us what to be cautious of, what to be careful of. So while you may not and and may not ever be called to do what I do, to serve at a church or to have a prominent teaching role, you don't have an out. You have a responsibility to know God like I have a responsibility to know God. We have all become now in the New Testament priests through our relationship with Jesus Christ. So some of these characteristics, you can't just say, well, Doke ought to be that way. Mark ought to be that way. No, we all need to be this way. But yes, in regard to my calling, I do need to be what God defines for us here. And so I would say this to us today, that at the close of the Old Testament, things were not in a good place. I think sometimes a little bit today where we are, things are at a great place as well. But I'll say this, if you find someone like this today, in the future, whatever the case may be, that models what God's perspective of is here, then stay there. Sit under that teaching and consistently um, hear what God has to say through someone who deeply loves his word and walks with them, because this is becoming rarer and rarer in our day and time. So it's an important thing to be looking for. And so let's walk through this now. The first thing I want us to see today is God has a series of if statements. If you, three of them. But I kind of wanted to flip it because that's what God is saying. God is making a definitive statement about what things ought to do, but he's couching in it, if you're not going to do this, what you should be doing. So look with me in verse 1, in the first part of verse 2. So God says, And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send a curse upon you. So I'm going to stop there. So the first thing I want us to see today that's really critical, really important, is that the commands of God are to be our pathway. This is the way we are to live. So God's speaking to the priest and says to the priest, priest, I have a command for you. Now some have a faulty understanding of what somebody like my job is. Now you see me up here preaching. But the primary role in my life is not to be a preacher. I am to know God and walk with God. Because if I don't know Him and I don't walk with Him, me communicating His words doesn't have the 
the authority and the power that it should as I walk with him in obedience. And so God comes to the priest here and he just says to them, listen, the commands that I have for you are to be your way. And the first thing that he says there is that you are to see these commands as a gift from me that you are to submit to. So the priority is to walk with God for every minister. This word commandment here is a Hebrew word that means an authoritative directive that's either written or it's said orally. This is meant also when it's said to be submitted unto. And so God says, priest, this is the deal. I'm giving you commands and they are for your good. These commands are a gift to you. I'm incredibly thankful for this book that God has made his heart and made who he is known to us so we can know how to respond to him. And if you're new to all this and it sounds a bit confusing and it's a bit different, church, all the kind of stuff like that, the more you stay around, the more it begins to make sense as to why God has called out a unique people to embrace, to embrace and to love and walk in his commandments. And so the commands of God are to be our way. They are to be seen as a gift to be submitted unto. Secondly, so God gifts this. We're to see that they're a gift. And the second thing is we are to listen, use our ears connected to the commands. Look at the first part of verse 2. If you will not listen. So again, talking to the priests, the other side of that is you are to listen, priests. But if you will not listen, so he says this, listen to the commands. So as you see the commands as a gift to you, you are to listen to them. Listen means in every kind of way. Everyone is to listen to the Lord, but especially the priests and the pastors and the ministers to listen to the word of God as he is instructed so that they can communicate it truthfully. So the word listen here means to hear in the Hebrew intelligently with the implication of obedience. So it's not, so if you come Sunday after Sunday into this place and you listen to whoever is up here speaking, the listening is not to just hear something. The listening is to be designed to the, when this is all over, I'm going to walk in what's been taught. So God comes to the priest that is a mess at the end of the Old Testament. And he says, listen, I'm giving you a command. They are a gift from me to you. And you've got to see them as this. You've got to submit to them. But you've also got to be ones that listen with the intention of walking in obedience to the commandments. Thirdly, you are to take it to heart. So again, God says, and now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts. And so the third thing in the beginning here is God says to the priests, you've got to take it to heart, the scripture and the commands that you have been given. We are to put it inside of our lives. The scripture, this scripture here is not to just stay on this page outside of me, but this, this word is supernatural. It is a revelation from God. It is God's heart to us. And they've got to come, these words have got to come from the page and to be inside of our lives. 
And so God speaking to the priests says, listen, you've got to set your heart with an intentionality to know the word and to walk in the word and to listen to the word. And so God is not going to let the people off. He is going to hold the priests more accountable and responsible because of the calling that they have on their lives. And so this is an important thing. Three things God establishes that are absolutely important. God's word is a gift given to us. We are to listen to his word with the intention of walking in obedience. And we are to place those words, set them on the inside of our life. Christianity is primarily an inside faith that has an impact on the outside in regard to what we do. But it begins with a transformation on the inside. And so God telling the priests says this, this is a word for you, but it was also a word for the people. Now, God comes and he says this, if you're not going to do this, then I am going to do this. This will be the consequence. And so the second thing I want us to see this morning are the consequences of ignoring God's commands. And so if you would look with me in the middle part of verse 2, and then we're also going to read verse 3. Let's just read two and three together and we can kind of get the full context. So if you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, this is what I'll do. These are the consequences. Then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I've already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. That was the issue that he spoke about earlier, that they needed to lay it to heart. They're not laying it to their heart. So verse three. So God says, behold, look at this, take notice of this. I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. There are two great consequences that God says to the priests that I believe come to the New Testament minister in the local church as well. The first one is, is there would be cursings on the blessings The second one is there would be disgrace that should accompany ministers who walk in blatant disobedience. There should be consequences to that reality. So let's talk about those two. And if you're uncomfortable talking about dung, use another word in your head. But listen, God's pretty serious about this. And you'll see how serious he is about this in just a moment. So God says, this is what's going to happen if the command that I've gifted you with, that you don't listen to it and you don't take it to heart, this is what is going to come. It is a sobering and very serious thing to be a teacher of the Word of God. James writes this in James 3.1. He says, not many of you should become teachers. And here's why. That there's a higher standard, there's higher accountability with not only what you teach, but how do you live and do you live out what you're asking everybody else to follow and embrace. And I believe that the problem that we have seen today in our generation has begun this slippery slope 
it always begins with a dishonoring of recognizing God's righteousness and God's holiness. A.W. Tozer said this, what you think about God is the most important thing in your life. How you see him and what you think about him. And so God here says, listen, I will curse your blessings. Now let me bring this into perspective. This is not chanting. This isn't getting a doll and doing some incantations and anything of this matter. But this, this is directly out of the Word of God. If you remember, right before they were to enter the promised land, it had been 40 years. They could have in, entered the promised land a long time before. But if you remember with the 12 spies, 10 came back and says, there's no way we could take the land. Joshua and Caleb are like, yes, we can take the land. But the 10 convinced the nation that it was impossible to trust God to go into the land and fight those that were there, and to take the land from them. And because of that rebellion, that generation died out in the wilderness, and everybody that was 20 years old and younger stayed alive during that time and was able, or who did stay alive, was able to enter into the promised land. And before they entered into that, God told them, if you follow me, there will be blessings, but if you do not follow me, there will be cursings. And I will even step in and I will curse your blessing. So now I want you to turn all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 28, and I want to show you what Malachi is referring to here. Deuteronomy 28. So let's look at the blessings. Let's look at what God said He would do. Both the blessings and the cursings are. Not all of the cursings, but the idea of this is here. Deuteronomy 28, beginning in verse 1, and we're just going to read through verse 6. Do you hear this same language? It's in Malachi, and if you. So verse 1 of Deuteronomy 28. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all of His commandments that I command you today, The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. Listen to how good that is. God says, you follow my word. I'm going to bless you. The blessings will overtake you. Does anybody need God's blessings to kind of overtake you? What an amazing reality that is. And so he says at the end of two, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Verse three, blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and of the young of your flock. Blessed shall be how little this is. Look at this. God will bless your basket. God will bless your kneading bowl and blessed shall you be when you come in your house and blessed shall you be when you go out. So look up here just for a moment. That sounds good, doesn't it? God is not an angry God up in heaven waiting and longing for the earth to fall apart and rebel against him. He is a loving God wanting people to come to faith. 
But when we bring that down to church people, God, listen, church folks, God's heart is to pour out blessings upon his people. The blessings are connected with obedience, though. And so look at the flip side of this. Go down to verse 15 now. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. So this is what God's talking about to his people. And here in Malachi, he's talking to the priests. Priests, I want to bless you. I want to take care of you. You know how the priests got blessed? When the land walked in obedience. Did you note there the blessings? God will increase your young animals. You'll have lots of young animals. God will touch your crops, your vegetables and your fruits and the things that you grow. And what the people would do is they would bring those into the temple to tithe those. The priests in the temple got the benefit of all that blessing. They would have more food, more abundance. And now at the end of the Old Testament, the priests are doing their own thing. God's not blessing the land. So as the tithes and offerings are coming in, it is having a direct result upon the priests' lives. And so this is the aspect. And so again, God is not doing some kind of incantation. The bottom line is this. If you want blessing, walk with me in obedience. If you want the consequences of disobedience, then you can do that. But you're not going to have any idea of how good it is to taste and see what happens when you walk with me and I touch your life in every kind of way, even to, like my wife has this thing called kitchen maid. And she makes these cookies and they're unbelievable. And so God says, I will, if you'll walk with me, I will even in your house touch your kneading bowl. And I will make those cookies even better cookies. See, God's concerned about how we walk in the world. And he will bless that. And he is also deeply concerned about what we do at home, that everything we do honors him. But the issue here is they did not lay it to their heart. And you look at our nation right now, and I believe at one time in our country, there was a God-centered understanding. Not everybody was a believer, but there was a God-centered understanding about things. And that is gone now. And you look at our cities, or our cities being blessed today. Have you seen just the rampant lawlessness that is increasing. I don't know if you saw this last week where a police chief was riding his bike and these teenagers had stolen a car and were going through and they were hitting people intentionally on their bikes. 
And that police chief ended up being killed. He was on his bike and they just ran into him from behind and flipped him up on the windshield and he died. So here's the thing. God is saying to us, the church, he's saying to me as a pastor, if we want blessings in the city again, it's only going to come by obedience. And if the church doesn't get its act together, guess what also is not going to receive the blessings of God? The church isn't. And so God's call here says, listen, I take this serious. How serious did God take this? Well, he says this, I'm going to give you a 4th century B.C. facial with animal poop. And I'm going to rub it all over your face, priests, and all your fancy garb that you are to wear. And I'm going to put it, and you're going to walk around. And instead of being respected, people are going to look at you and go, what a disgrace that God's ministers do not honor him anymore. We are to leave this, this word here that's, that, that's in this that talks about, I'm going to curse your offspring. Doesn't mean that God was just going to kill children. This is the consequence that was going to be there, is that children were going to grow up into a land where their parents did not know God, the priests did not worship God, and the consequence is, is that the next generation would have absolutely no idea who God is. This is what happened after Joshua's generation. Do you all remember that? So Joshua takes the people into the land. They settle the land. People are walking with God during Joshua's lifetime. Joshua dies And then those that had come into the land with Joshua, when they died out, the Bible tells us that that generation, this is in the first part of the book of Judges, they did not any longer have any idea and they didn't know the stories of what God had done when they settled the land. This is why it's absolutely critical for you and I today to know history and to know the reality of all of this because it leaves a legacy for the next generation when the church takes serious with this. Now, I don't know what it's like at your house. We have two dogs. We don't have a whole lot of grass in the backyard. And dogs go outside and they do things out there after they eat. And if you don't keep up with that, the whole backyard starts smelling. So I have a plan. Maybe we'll help you. I take two Walmart bags and stick them together. And then I get a real thick plastic thing to pick that up because it's just awful to go out and do that. You know that if you've got dogs. That's why we Americans are so spoiled. People can actually be entrepreneurs and have doggy poop pickup businesses where they can buy trucks and put advertising on their truck that will come to your house and pick up all your dog, your dog stuff. Now watch this. <clears throat> over and over, people would bring animals in. They would lay them on the altar and the priests would have to cut them. And there was multiple places in the Old Testament that told the priests what they were to do with the dung. So they were to remove the organs of the animal and they were to remove the intestines So when you talk about a Passover, can you imagine 
how much poop is in the temple from the intestines of the animals that has to be dealt with. The instructions of the Old Testament were, is you were to take that outside of the camp in the wilderness and then outside of the city, and they were to burn that. And listen what God says there. Listen how God is serious with ministers who do not take their role serious. God says, listen, your ministry in my name and what you're doing now is equal to the dung that you're dealing with with the animals that needs to go outside of the city to be burned. And I'm not even going to do that, but I'm going to take that and I'm just going to rub it all over your face. And you may think, well, that sounds harsh that God would do something like that. It's not harsh, it's loving. And we would hope that he would take his righteousness and his holiness serious with his priests and that he would call them to walk in righteousness and holiness in light of who he is. And so you may have seen this on the internet as well. It's just like everywhere when I pull up stuff. This prank that they're doing now in the kitchen where you are baking something and you get a little kid to stand on a little ladder and you break the egg. Have y'all seen that? You break the egg on their forehead and the kids are like, what in the world are you doing breaking this egg on my forehead? And it's kind of funny and cute, but I don't recommend hitting children in the face with eggs in your kitchen. But listen to this. God literally says, priests, this is how serious... I'm taking this, is I'm going to rub this on your face and you're not going to be able to get it off and you're going to be a disgrace in the midst of your calling. And so this is why we are and my role and all around churches are to take this role seriously because God says, I've got commands to give to you. See them. Hear them. Set your heart upon them, for if you don't, I will curse your blessings and I will make you a disgrace that accompanies your disobedience. So this brings us to, the, to verse 4, and I, wanna, I want you to go now to Numbers chapter 25. Good morning, everybody doing well? You doing well? Okay. This is important stuff. Numbers 25. So God makes a covenant. He also kind of began this in the wilderness, if you'll remember. Um, God, Moses had been up on the mountain for 40 days, and the people make a golden calf. And when God comes down, Aaron, Moses says to the people, you, got to, you need to make a decision. You're going to be on God's side. And if you're on God's side, come gather around me, Moses. And if you're not going to be on God's side, you, you stay where you are. And so the Levites came and gathered around Moses. And there was an instance there where there's an affirmation that they would become those that would work in the tabernacle. But now there are, toward the very end, before they were to, to move into the land, and this is this covenant that God makes with Levi, it's actually with Phineas. So 20, Numbers 25, verse 1. While Israel lived in Shittim, 
the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. The daughters of Moab invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, of the idols of their gods. And the Israelites, the people, ate the food that was made to these idols, and they bowed down to the gods of the Moabites. Verse 3, So Israel yoked himself, connected himself to the bell of Peor. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And so the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you should kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to the bell of Peor. So bad was it, verse 6 says, that somebody brought one of the prostitutes, likely from Moab, into the camp. Moses and the people of God are weeping at the tent of meeting, crying out to God that that what's happening, the consequence would be turned away. And so verse 6, And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family. In case you don't get that, just want to be real honest. I know there's some kids in the room here. He's got a home in the camp, and he's bringing a prostitute to his home where his wife and his children are, and he's about to be having sex with her, with his family in the home. And so Phineas, verse 7, well, let me finish verse 6. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses and the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting. And when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose and left the congregation and he took a spear in his hand and he went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. And thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. And nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. Listen to me. Listen, church. Do not ever think that there is not deep consequences when sin gets to run rampant among God's people. Deep, deep consequences. Look at verse 10. And the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel in that he was jealous listen to this with my jealousy the Hebrew actually means this Phineas's jealous for the honor of God's name rose to the level of what God is jealous for the honor of his name And that he was jealous with the jealousy among them so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Now look at 12 and 13. These are important. Therefore say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace and it shall be to him and to his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood because he was zealous for his God and he made atonement for the people of Israel. So here's what's happening here. So Phineas, in his great act, God looks at it and says, that, that is zealousy, that's zealousness 
That's jealousy for the honor of my name that is equal to the way I feel about the honor of my name. And so Phineas, from you, there's going to be a perpetual priesthood because of your actions and because of what you did. And this covenant that God makes with Phineas and every right priest, there, were, there would be some right priests along the way, but there would be a lot of really wrong priests. And he says, those, there will be a priesthood that comes from you, of those who have a, a heart for me and a heart for honoring this. And it's going to continue. There will be a continual priesthood connection with this. And I want you to note what it says here in verse 4, that he says, God says, my covenant with Levi may stand. Listen, church, God's standards are not to change. We are not to test him or them. We're not to twist them, lessen them. God says, listen, I'm going to curse your blessings and I'm going to spread, spread dung on your faces to let you know that you have messed with the covenant that I've made with Phineas and his family and the faithful priests, that this is not to be lessened and it is not to be changed at all. And you look around at our day-to-day and our culture is confused about truth because the home, the local home, is more broken than it has ever been in the history of our country. And I believe the local home is more confused because the church for far too long has been unclear and the church has been unclear on the issues of the day because pastors have been weak with biblical truth. And when pastors are weak with biblical truth, they are cowards because they fear man and they do not fear God. And what beliefs... And doctrines today are many ministers today no longer letting stand to guide the church. And one of those is the lessening of the authority of Scripture. Another one is the forgetfulness of the lessons of church history and biblical history of what comes when you don't walk with God. And then also joyfully going I'm going to walk with God because He promises. One, one, mainly, He's just do the honor. But He also has told me it's worth it to do this because He blesses. One of the other things that's so predominant today in our culture is used to, when I, when I was in the youth group as a kid a long time ago, I know I look young, but it was a long time ago, My youth ministers used to say these words all the time. We are called to die to yourself and to take up your cross and walk with Him daily. That's the time frame. And now we have ministers in churches that all they do is focus on self. And this practice of self-affirming teaching to the point where people are the point and not Christ's glory is the point is part of the issue. And listen, I just remind us, God says here, I am not, I'm, I'm, I'm going to let this stand. You can, you're you're going to do what you want to do, but I'm going to be faithful to what's true. 
So this brings us to the fourth principle in the first part of verse 5 there of Malachi. Hope you're back there. I know we've kind of been everywhere. But verse 5 says this, My covenant with Phineas, it's the reference there, was one of life and peace. And I gave them, that's a reference to life and peace. I gave them to him and it was a covenant of fear and he feared me and he stood in awe of my name. Just real briefly, if you're taking notes, number four is this, this covenant with ministers and I believe the calling that's connected with ministers today and this, this one with the priests was one of life and peace. And so God grants this to Phineas, tells us this is going to happen with Phineas, that he would have these gifts of life and peace. This brings us to number five, and this is really important, is that Phineas now had, he, he did this act, took a spear, did the work, made atonement for the people of Israel, though it was unbelievably costly what had happened. Thousands and thousands of people had died And God makes this covenant with him, a perpetual priesthood. But then Phineas has to make a decision. Okay, I did this one act, but am I going to continue to live this way? Will I continue to be zealous for the honor of God's name? And we get the answer to that question in the second part of verse 5. This was a covenant of fear. Fear not, I'm scared of ghosts and witches. It's nothing to do with fear of man. It's a fear of awe and respect of who God is in his nature. So this covenant that God makes a perpetual priesthood is that the priest would live in awe of God in his nature. They would have great respect for who he is. And then so, so God enters into this, but Phineas has to make a decision. What's he going to do? What are you and I going to do today? And here's what God says. Again, this is God speaking. All of these words. Malachi 2, 1 through 9. Every one of them are God. From the mouth of God. These aren't Malachi's words. And this is what Malachi writes that God said about Phineas. So yeah, I entered into this covenant where Phineas was to live in awe of me and respect for me because of who I am and my holiness. And then God says, and he lived that way. He feared me. And not only did he fear me, he lived out his calling, but he stood in awe of my name. This role I have sometimes keeps me awake at night. Sometimes I... I'm overwhelmed with the job. Sometimes I cry. Sometimes I go into Mark and he just goes, oh, here he comes again. (laughs) And I tell you today, pastors all over the country, about 500 a month are resigning positions of ministry and never going back to it. There's a calling from God that binds us in this calling that you can't walk away from. Have I had days in the last 15 years that I was done with LifePoint in my flesh? Absolutely. You ever done with your job? Yes, you are. I'm not even 
So there are moments where you're like, oh, are we ever going to get there? And we are seeing, by the way, we are seeing the fruit finally of about 15 years of faithful service. God has been bringing people. We're about to start this new ministry. There's a lot of things that God is really doing now. We've got this mentoring ministry and the women that is going on. Um, We just have a lot of great things happening in the life of the church. And for all ministers, they need to know that, that there is a binding to the calling of God that you cannot walk away from. And that we have to live in awe of God like Phineas did. And we must stand in such a way that the posture of our lives honors God. Now I'm about to let you in on LifePoint secret sauce. On Sunday mornings, we make you stand a lot. It's not by accident. We stand when we sing. We stand when we pray. We stand when we read Scripture. We stand when we quote Psalm 119. All of it is on purpose. Why? Because I can almost guarantee it, because I know it's true of my own life, that during the week we are never standing posture in awe of who He is. And not only should it happen on a Sunday morning, but during the week we, our posture of our life is, God, I am Yours because You are everything and I am committed to live in awe of who You are. So all of us are bound in this salvation. And because we are so bound, we are to live it out. And we are to stand in awe of Him. And our faith should impact us so much that in the drive through at HTO, thank God that came to McKinney, at the grocery store, driving, wherever we go, Our posture of honoring God and living for God touches every single thing that we do. That there's an awe of who He is. You see, this building is not to restrict our worship. It's to be a weekly reminder to get out into the world and to live for Jesus. So what are the core values that God thinks are important? Well, look with me in verse 6 and 7. We're going to scurry through these. They're important. This is, what, this is God speaking on what He values and affirms for ministers. True instruction. This is a description of Phineas and those faithful like Phineas. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. And here's God's definition. It's what he, he just kind of ties a bow on it. For that, what I've just said... That is the messenger of the Lord of angel armies. So I want to walk through these just briefly. All of these are what a church ought to have. 
you better not leave this church. But if you ever do leave this church, you should look for someone who embodies these things. First, their mouth pours forth biblical teaching. God says, true instruction was in the mouth of Phineas. The law of truth was there. Not only did Phineas commit himself to know the law, but he was fully committed to teach the true word of Scripture. Not one part of his ministry was there a path where he twisted or he bent or he lessened what a text meant. So when he read a passage and he knew what it said, he taught it exactly as it said. He committed his mouth to biblical purposes. He was a truth speaker. True instruction filled his mouth. He would be, as Ezra was, much later, Ezra 7.10. For Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. So Aaron, Eleazar, Phineas, and every faithful priest after them and other generations only taught what was agreeable to the written text. There was no other book to teach from. They were not to teach philosophy or science or anything else. They were to teach the Scripture. Secondly, not only did their, the word of truth fill their mouths, but no wrong was found on his lips. In other words, truth rested on Phineas's lips. Now, I love the fall. There's some weird people at our church who wished it would be 102, 360 days a year. I, I, can we have at least two seasons in Texas? That would be nice. Maybe sometimes three. But in the wintertime, and that cold north wind comes and the air gets dry, your lips get chapped, and I love flavored Carmex. Wintergreen, whatever flavor they've got. I love putting it there because you, you taste it. And it's healing. Now listen to this about Phineas. Phineas's mouth was so full of the word of God that words of God rested on his lips. Just was spilling out and they, they found a place on his lips. So as he talked, truth was a part of everything that Phineas did. So I ask a question to you and I today. What is most found resting on your and my spiritual lips? What's there? What's present? See, for Phineas, this is just an astounding description of him. The word mattered in his life in every kind of way. He didn't have humanistic opinions on his lips. The truth of the holiness of God's word was deep inside of his mouth. He had set his heart to it and they were all over his lips. You could go up to him and if you could literally do it, you could pull scripture off of Phineas's lips because they just were there. And I've been meditating on that this week. I thought, how in, how in the world... Can you get to a place to love God and love his word that much that God would describe 
you that my word rests on that person's lips. And I've been deeply challenged by it. Thirdly, because his mouth was full of truth, because truth rested on his lips, thirdly, he walked, God says, he walked with me in peace and uprightness. He didn't fight God. He didn't question God. He walked in peace and security. He wasn't warring with God. This idea of uprightness means that he didn't allow sin to cling tightly to him. An upright life has no guilt. Doesn't have to hide things. Doesn't have to have secrets. And there's a deep security that comes from that faithfulness. You see, for Phineas, he made God's word the rule and the standard and the guide for his life. And the glory of God was the end aim of everything that he did. Fourthly, he had concern for the iniquity or the sin that harms the souls of people. And so it says in verse 6, And he turned many from iniquity. He was saving, practicing, saving people from the destruction of sin. So he taught the word powerfully in his generation so that people would not buy the lie that it's okay to think this or, or to do this. So the context here is teachers, full of mouth, priesthood, perpetual priesthood, truth on the lips, walking in peace, walking in uprightness. Teachers, listen to this, this is important. Teachers of the gospel have to talk about the lies that the culture is telling. That's what Phineas did. He said, this is what sin is, and I want to tell you what God's truth is so that I could snatch you from iniquity because all that path is leading to is more bondage. And so he had concern for the soul and the devastating effects of sin. One, two, three, four, five. The fifth one. The minister, the true minister that you ought to sit under is like Phineas who preserved the word of God from any kind of perversion. Verse seven. For the lips of the priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. A true minister of the gospel fights for the truth to be taught correctly. They guard the word before those they shepherd so that no dangerous perversion would enter into the congregation. So we point out lies, even if it comes from highly platformed people. Just look, you've seen it on the news. How many famous highly platformed pastors have fallen since 2020? They have documentaries about them. There's podcasts about them. There is to be a preserving of the word of God from any perversion connected starting first with the minister and then to the people. And, and so for the lips of the priest 
should guard knowledge. And then he says, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. All right, we're about to finish. I really, and I mean that, not pastor talk. You and I should never go to a place where the characteristics of the ministers or the preacher is not this. Shouldn't go there. And here's why. It's not my opinion. You remember what God said a while ago? This is, this is the only characteristics of those that are my messengers. This is what they are like. So when people come to any place where biblical teaching is supposed to take place, they are to come to someone who has studied the word and they have studied the word so much that the people in the congregation should be able to come come up to the speaker and pick the words of God off their lips. This is God's, again, this is not my standard. This is God's standard, and, and we've got to align our lives with God's standard. Isn't it an impossible standard? Amen, it is. That's why I take serious this role to proclaim truth to you because we're not talking about, you know, should I buy a Coke or a Dr. Pepper at lunch? We're talking about eternity and souls and Is sin going to grab people and keep them enslaved? And if some teacher is not these qualities, then we should not sit under that teaching. We shouldn't buy their book. We shouldn't go to their conference. We shouldn't turn something on. We should just ever be consumed with what the Scripture says. About God. I call it this, and we'll close with this. The woman of God that is a teacher and pours her life into women, a pastor like me or anybody else in ministry, we should have a gospel saturated mouth that should describe us. A gospel saturated mouth mouth I'm going to come back next week we'll kind of tie this in to next week as we continue to talk about the priests I love you I hope you know that I'm not perfect I hope you know that you do know that But there is one who is perfect. And what I want to do is continue as the years go on, past year 15 into year 25, is I want to talk to you and proclaim to you the one who is perfect and the one who died in our place and who's worthy of all our worship and every ounce of honor is due him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.